Welcome to the Round 9 Supercoach Coach Podcast. I'm Marcus, and this week, joined again by FB Donkey. Welcome back. G'day, mate. Great to be here. Looking for a job this week with stock market and crypto completely crushing. So um, <laughs> any Maccas out there that are hiring, I'm, I'm putting my name out there. Fortunately, we've had a much better week in the Supercoach markets with both our stocks seriously rising. So why don't we start off, as we do each week, with a recap of the round that was. Just pipped me. I was really hoping to keep that streak going. 11 point difference. But seeing as, as you took the chockies, why don't you kick us off? Sure, man. So we both had what ended up being quite massive weeks. I halved my ranking and you pretty much halved yours. 23.79 was my score. Uh, I think I just avoided some of the low scores. I don't have Hewitt, which is an advantage. It's always good to see Gorn score a lot lower. Still had English on the bench, though. Brought in Parker, who was on 80 at halftime and only scored 89. Trevor Butters and Canelio and a lot of the low scorers, but uh, midfield did pretty well with McRae, Miller, Cripps, Oliver, and Neil all killing it. Sam Hayes and Proust doing their job in the rucks. And yeah, so just inside the top 10,000 for me, uh, I know you're ranked a bit higher than that. Yep, pretty close though. And yeah, similar tale of the tape in that nothing outstanding, but just not having some of the top tier premiums that were a little bit flatter this week helped out. And considering we both aren't running with English, we will take moves up the ladder. So second week in the row, almost halving the rankings, I think 20,000 into 5,900 in two weeks, which is that's very massive. exciting. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Cause 5,900, you feel like, oh, I'm in this, like you, know, yeah. you can get a decent rank by the end. But it's scary to think how thin the margins are. So a couple of weeks of poor scores, it could slide out pretty quickly, apparently. So that's um, probably someone that's gone from 5,900 to 20,000 and just replaced you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did make one trade in, uh, being Zorko this week. Didn't use the boost. So three boosts left. <laughs> we'll see whether that pays off, but I think I've got a bit more juice in my team in terms of some trade out targets and we've got a lot of rookies to look at this week so I'm pretty excited about all that. Zorko was my trade in, took a slightly compromised pick in probably his injury history but scored 123 first up, probably got a couple of brown low points there and looks to be back in the midfield now so that's two weeks in a row now that Coleman's back in the side. So all pretty positive around that. We'll just see whether old man Zorko can hold up or is it Have you been watching any of the Brisbane games? Because he's been limping around hardcore by the end of most games. Yep. <laughs> Got to go for that sweet, sweet upside. Uh, look, it was price, right? 516K. I had just enough for Hewitt. Like on the nose, just enough for Hewitt. And he was the plan. Had to pick something slightly different. Uh, I know you went with another old guy too, though, Pendlebury, but he, he isn't limping around. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. All yeah. class Pendles. Uh, I hear Hewitt is potentially in doubt again for this week as well, which should be very frustrating for owners. Yeah. Stop smiling so much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a quick look at our Patreon group to see the top score of the week. And that's Cameron's team, Simply the Bruce. With twenty three ninety, and oh, geez, I was not... close to that. I was only eleven behind it. Yeah, 
that's still put you at fifth in the group and put me at eighth. So uh, quite a lot of us doing reasonably well for the week. It was a, quite a tight week with no huge scores, but the high 2300s was enough to move people up fairly significantly, depending on where you sat in the ranks. In our main Supercoach coach group, highest score was Michael's team, Power to Win, with a 2461, putting him at a rank of 329th overall. So shout out to Michael. That's nice rank. Yeah, and uh, your special mention to Grady's team, Checkmate FC, 2447, ranked 92nd overall. So a couple of big nice. scores there. In terms of our topics for the week, again, show and questions brought to you by our wonderful community of supporters, our patrons. And this week, we've got some questions in and around the trade-in targets for the week, mostly being the three rookies on the bubble. All look to have very low break-evens, a couple with DPP flexibility, some decent scoring under their belts. So we'll spend most of the show looking at them. And we've got a couple of questions on some primos as well. So Andy Brayshaw has bottomed out and Zach Butters causing some headaches. So looking forward to getting to those topics, Mark. Why don't we start yep. off with the Bubble Boys and Dom Dunn's question. Are any of them a must get? So Maurice Rioli Jr., Jack Carroll, Cooper Hamilton, playing for Richmond, Carlton, and GWS respectively, with Rioli and Hamilton being TPP and Hamilton being a 102K player. Uh, what do you reckon about the Bubble Boys? Rioli's probably pretty clearly by ownership change statistics the highest or most attractive trade-in target this week so yeah. uh, according to the people's votes he seems like the standout would you agree with that yeah i would out of the three i'm definitely looking first at rioli and then if i need to bring another one in considering the others I had a lot of doubts after the first game where he kicked three goals in like five minutes and I thought his score was pretty inflated against the Eagles. But then on the weekend, he didn't actually kick a goal, but he's tackling and forward pressure and just work around the ball is elite and respected by the coach and I think the Tigers. And so I think he'll play for a while. Um, he does seem like a sort of guy that you wouldn't really want to have on field because he could definitely put in a 30. But I think that out of them, I like his job security the best and he's shown really good scoring so far. And has the lowest break even. And so uh, with that mid forward eligibility, I definitely think that he's the first target for me this week. Now, in terms of ranking the other two, yeah, I think job security is the main call out that you've made so far, which is fair. Carol potentially being in due to some injury. So I guess people are asking whether or not Hewitt comes back and potentially takes some midfield spots there. And then uh, with Cooper Hamilton playing in the back line, actually, even yeah, though he's, he's mid forward. A defensive small defender. Uh, he can't get triple uh, eligibility for position, as far as I'm aware. So mm. that means he's not going to get the eligibility at defense. It'd be nice if a player could have all three zones. But yeah, playing as a small defender, he scored 40 points in the first half and then was really quiet in the second half. Um, looked really good in that first half as well. So if he had continued on with that, I think. I would have been really confident to pick him this week, especially at that um, extra cheap price. I really like those basement price guys. 
but then really did fade in that second half. And just the fact that the Giants were so poor, Leon Cameron likes to throw his side around, is not necessarily reliable in playing some of these guys. Yeah, I think that his job security is really iffy still at the moment. I think he still needs to every week prove himself and could even not be selected this week. So that worry, that would worry me a lot, whereas I know Rioli is going to be selected this week unless he's managed for some reason. Jack Carroll didn't score. I don't think he scored. I don't think he had a possession in the first quarter and then came on and had 18 or 19 touches over two, three, and four. Looked really good, but like you said, he could be in for Hewitt in particular getting extra midfield time and then he could get pushed out. Like, I think he'll still play, at least in the short term, because he has been playing well, but he could get pushed out to one of those less lucrative roles. Like, we've seen Setterfield playing on a wing and not scoring very well, and he's sort of in the reserves at the moment. And so, yeah, I definitely worry about Jack Carroll, like, in two or three weeks and whether he's still in that Carlton side. So, out of the two, I'd pick Hamilton first and then Carroll personally. How about you? Probably similar also because the DPP flexibility of Hamilton means that if he isn't out, you do have a floating donut, which can help loopholing scores, but also with uh, the captaincy loophole. So the added flexibility in case of a dropping is, is helpful. And then obviously the, the extra cash as well. So I think it's pretty hard to say like Carol or Hamilton has better job security over the other because they're probably both in tenuous positions in that as long as they play well slash the team is winning they'll probably stay within the team but it only takes a couple of poor games for them to drop out and I guess we're focusing on job security a little bit more just because of the timing of the season that we're in at the moment so heading into round nine we've then got three rounds before the first buy so that's three price increases. More likely than not, you're probably holding these guys through the buys. And I, I guess that's the question is, do you think they can get through the buys offering you some scoring on field through what will be a potentially hairy period as it, as it generally is each year? The tricky part being, Marcus, that all three of these guys have the round 12 buy, which is ultimately the worst buy for a rookie to have because we've got a lot of other premiums on that buy and that's the one you want them to be playing and then you could potentially get them to earn some cash and trade them out a little bit later which makes me think that Greg Clark and potentially Luke Strandika actually come into the conversation here as going early on them over a Hamilton Carroll type. does take us to another one of our questions from our patrons. Luke's asking whether or not this could be the week of triple downgrades, all the rookie options presenting this week. And we did flag a lot of downgrades this week. At that stage, we we're probably expecting Clark to be in the mix here. So Clark and, and Rioli Jr. or, you know, one of the three. Um, now that Clark is another week away, in that he's not pressing to get him this week, he'll have to play another to reach the bubble. The dynamics have potentially changed a little bit, especially in relation to what you've just flagged there, right? Can you really afford three weeks out of the buys to be trading in three rookies who are all going to be out on that first same buy, two of which may have questionable job security? So, And we've seen that before, right? Like rookies actually get dropped post-buy because it gives a player extra time to prove themselves on track or come back from injury or, or whatever else. 
Yeah. And I think that the other thing to consider is Rory Thompson's available next week. And I know his scoring is awful and he's not really a player you would want to ever have on field or like bringing in, but we're so many teams are desperate for a defensive rookie downgrade with O'Driscoll and McCartan and DeConing and Gibkus players like that. They're all ready to, to be downgraded. So Cleveland is just going to be desperate for a rookie downgrade next week. So if you're looking at potentially Rory Thompson next week and Greg Clark next week, well, you definitely don't want to be triple downing this week and then double downing next week. So I think that I'd be inclined to either bring one of those guys in early, preferably Clark, or to actually spend the money that you get this week, this week. Yep. I like that too. So two down, one up, maybe three down, probably not. The other um, thing to consider, Marcus, is like if you bring in Carroll, Rioli Jr. and Hamilton, and two of them are on your midfield bench, and then you want to bring in Clark for your midfield next week as well, like you're sort of locking yourself into having a rookie on field or even two rookies on field in the midfield. Yeah. I think the balance of wanting to bring in a defender probably makes a lot of sense at this point in time, potentially even the Ruckman that you mentioned as an option, just because spreading out the number of players that you potentially don't want on field across your positions heading into the bye makes sense. Hugh Dixon, I think, is one that if you didn't have a Tim English type, a lot of people would be considering trading out this week. So I anticipate Dixon to Stranodico might be popular this week. Begg's another one. Um, yeah. Have you considered him? I have considered him because I think that he will get forward ruck eligibility. I just worry that Collingwood lost on the weekend and at some point I expect them to give Cox a chance because it's unlikely that they'll keep it's a pretty tough position for Beck to come in and play week after week after week. So yeah, I have a few doubts in that. And Srendika is also only 100k rather than 123k. Although Bailey Williams is coming in, Jamison did okay from the, in the ruck for West Coast last week. So there's some doubts over Srendika's job security as well. Now, one of the things you mentioned before, Mark, was the backline rookie and what to do there. I know a lot of people are looking to cash in a backline rookie this week to use that cash. And O'Driscoll's probably at the top of that list in terms of unlocking some cash there. If you have a day cost, ideally you're going up, but there'd be people with NOD looking to go down and they need this cash this week to put a premium on field in the midfield or whatever else. So Tommy is asking strategies for ditching a right backline rookie if you don't have a DPP player to swap a mid. Yeah. And does that make sense to risk a Rory Thompson one week early? Or do you take somebody blind if they're named in the back line this week? Where are you <laughs> at with that? <laughs> you could almost take someone blind over Rory Thompson just giving his scoring history, injury history. I think that, I mean, the Gold Coast beat Sydney on the weekend, and I think they'll probably play better with the extra tall in defense. So I think that um, there's some good reasons why Thompson will keep playing, even if he won't score very well. I'd be really reluctant to go on him after just one game, though. He hasn't played for like, it was like nearly four years or something, like two ACLs in that time. So I think that's a very, very risky play. I think I'd rather run the gauntlet on O'Driscoll's break even than make that play. Although I can see that some people really, really are looking to unlock the cash and defense because otherwise that money sort of gets trapped there a little bit 
You do have Zach Reed from the Bombers who had a 60 and a 40 in the first two weeks. Didn't look as good in the second game, but he's 173,000. And if he's only going to score 50s, that's probably not enough. So yeah, I guess you could punt on Thompson. What do you reckon? I'm, I'm pretty skeptical on going Thompson early. How about Buku who played yeah. uh, on the weekend? Uh, it wasn't his debut. I think he did play last year. Yeah. But scored 41. He could be an option. And there's actually another rookie on the bubble. He just scored 16. Declan Mountford, a deaf mid. He, he really is only playing when West Coast run out of non-COVID players. But he's 102K with deaf mid DPP. And he scored 16. <laughs> That's a pretty tough pick. Bring him in as a floating donut, basically. Like, that would be your expectation on that. Mm. Baku looked really good in the first half. The Bulldogs didn't look great. They're looking just for someone up forward that can catch a ball. You would think that they're not going to persist with Ugal Hagen in the VFL for too long and that he would be switching with Baku in the AFL team, I would think. So pretty sketchy job security and would definitely need to perform this week. So again, I'd like to see another game from him. I think unless you're forced to this week, ideally don't make the additional downgrade, but potentially the floating donut may not be the worst idea. Like Rory Thompson compared to a floating donut across the bias may be pretty negligible. <laughs> yeah. There's some chance that Rory Thompson ends the season at his current price after playing every game. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. This one's about Andy Brayshaw. So final trade-in target. We're going to My talk boy. About. Shannon Swan's asking, is he the obvious trade-in target this week? He is the standout trade-in premium uh, when you look at the coach's choice in Supercoach Gold at the moment, but that's only at plus 2.1%. He has bottomed out, and that's basically why you're looking at him this week. What do you reckon about picking him up at 570000 13k cheaper than his starting price point, but still managing an average of 119 so far this season? Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Andrew Brayshaw fan, and I do think that this is the week. Um, we've got a bit unlucky because he had the high break even last week and played North Melbourne, so scored really well. So it could have been a little bit cheaper. But yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, him and Petrarca are pretty similar priced, probably potential to average pretty similar by the end of the year. Uh, you have Petrarca, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm going to take Brayshaw just to play Brayshaw off against Petrarca in that spot. Um, hopefully you don't take Brayshaw as well. Petrarca probably has a higher ceiling than Brayshaw, but uh, the thing I like about Brayshaw this year is that he's got the huge ceiling, which he's already shown uh, with 180 odd. But he also, when he's been tagged, he's still managed to eke out the like 90 to 100 scores. It was only against Geelong where he scored the 77 and that he wasn't really tagged in that game from what I recall. It was just he had a bit of a down game in the ball. Like Brody was down in that game as well. Like it just wasn't a game for the Freo mids. So yeah, I think absolutely he's a brilliant selection at 570 and should be top eight mids. Yeah. And that's the real question, right? Like, is he a top eight midfielder by the end of the year? At the moment, he's borderline at eighth, and Took Miller is knocking at the door with an average of one point lower. Did you say that the eighth ranking mid is averaging 119? Yeah. That's pretty crazy, is, isn't it? 
Yeah, but I think we saw that last year in the finish. So I'm anticipating this will continue. Brayshaw. Players like Miller and Petrarca and stuff just outside that top eight. So maybe we should be really looking at a pool of top 12 where you'd want to have the other four from the rest of them because they're, they're going to be within a few points at each other and it just depends on which price you pick them up during the year. Yeah. So I think the questions in terms of the people in the top eight at the moment who would be in that bracket are Boke, Mills, Laird, and Brayshaw, where Oliver, McRae, Cripps, and Neil look like, you know, more of that top four. Interestingly enough, Jack Steele's outside of that at 114 now. It's crazy. Um, but you'd think Steele ends up in there, and, and Miller, I think, is still a pretty good shot at that. Yeah. Other guys we haven't. I haven't mentioned Petrarca, who you've talked about. You've got Darcy Parrish, Zach Merritt, Sam Walsh, yeah. Bontempelli, Bailey Smith, who you have in your team. Sorry, I read this week that Bont and Smith are both sitting at the moment on 37% forward time, with 35% being the cutoff to get the DPP, which would be pretty crazy. If Bont and Smith become forwards, that changes our forward line projections quite significantly. And so I guess... Even though Brayshaw offers value this week, he looks like a good buy. I don't know how obvious he is in the sense that 570k for a fallen premium within this bracket isn't that cheap. If you can get somebody at 530 and below, 540 and below, you're starting to get sort of more into that bargain territory. But 570, generally, like Boak at the moment, averaging 124.6, he's priced at 587K, for example. Um, So I think Brayshaw is obvious in the sense that if you need a premium midfielder this week, if you believe that he's a top eight candidate, go for it. But I can also understand fading him because there's so many other midfield players that you might want to go after. A nice bonus about trading Brayshaw in this week is that he is playing Gold Coast and they do let some points up to opposition midfielders. The counter-argument to that, Marcus, is that except for Cripps, has any of those guys been available for 5.30 this year? No, not yet. From that perspective, like if you want to get your upgrades done, like you can't just wait forever for one of these 120 averaging premiums to fall that low in price. But Sam Walsh is at 5.90. So I could understand somebody saying, well, I might pay up an extra 20k for Walsh and punt that he's going to be more likely a top eight candidate than Brayshaw, for example. And with teams structured the way they are, most people are finishing up with their last couple of midfielders. So it's like Walsh or or Brayshaw, right? Like I've got two spots left. I'm probably going to take Brayshaw this week and then look for Steele who's dropping in price. He seems like a really obvious pick in two or three weeks. Yeah, so I'm in the same boat, which means that I only have one more midfield that I can pick up for the season. And as tempting as Brayshaw is, the question is, do I want to roll the dice on Brayshaw? Now, in your case, the answer is very clearly yes. You rolled the dice on him last year even. But, you know, I'm partial to a Sam Walsh, and he's only 20K more. Or the people who might be waiting for Mills. Mills just scored 60. Yeah. Um, So just pointing it out. And I think that we should just keep in mind that I would suggest that there's a good chance we will be side-swapping one of our premium mids to another premium mids over the buys, so potentially two of Sam Walsh, just because we're going to have all these extra trades and 
it might make our teams a lot better set up. The one thing I will say about Brayshaw is now that Frio are really cementing themselves as a finals team this year, Brayshaw in a finals team versus a non-finals team can already count for the difference between him being just outside that ultra premium bracket and breaking in, let alone accounting for natural improvement. So there are a lot of reasons to go for Brayshaw, especially with how Frio are doing and with Fife to come back into the team to help with that midfield. Yeah. I think Brayshaw was a great pick. You kind of only got one or maybe two, like you said, with side swap flavor to pick and just make sure you leave the spot for the, the guy you really want to cheer for, I guess. On to question around Zach Butters. You know, he's our Do main trade out yeah, candidate question. I remember you saying Zach Butters seems so obvious in the preseason, everyone, but he hasn't actually done it before. And maybe we should have pondered on that a little bit more because now... Yeah, Heaney yeah. versus Butters for me. Like, that would have been a huge mm. difference to my season. So, a couple of questions from Ramon and Michael. What do we do with Butters? Surely it's time to go. Now, even though he's dropped the fair bits, he's coming off two poor scores. His break even still only 105. Like, his, his price hasn't really gone anywhere. He only started at 440, so it's not like we lost yeah. a heap of cash on him. Hasn't been a terrible pick. It just... It could have been a lot better uh, when yeah. you look at the opportunity cost. He is coming up against North Melbourne this week, but the question is really, where do you see Butters moving forward? Do you see him as a guy that is a top six forward or not? I probably haven't lost hope yet considering the competitors. And importantly, I'm pretty tempted to hold until some of the forward eligibility gets announced at the next tranche, so after round 11, and then make a call on swapping him to, you know, like you said, the smear through a Bontempelli or something like that. So just at the end of the day, still averaging 87, his prices is not that awful. It's not really going to go that much further down. Like I understand the furor, but I personally haven't thought about it at all. Have you? Yeah, no. No, because realistically, we've all got an underperforming premium in our side and they can still come good. So everyone's got a Whitfield or a Butters sitting around that is just not quite getting it done. And they're really frustrating to watch each week. But Butters has shown already this season that he does have the upside. The first three times that he scored them in the 50s, he had excuses, like he'd been hit or he was sick. But this time he didn't actually have, a, have an excuse against the Bulldogs. He just didn't get it done. And that's just one game. And they have North this week. I think that you're just so much better off upgrading a Nick Dacos, a Rao, even a Nick Martin in the next couple of weeks. Like someone that you know for sure is not going to be in your final side and is close to max value. I just think, feel like you're so much better off upgrading those players than a Zach Butters who has potential to be in your final team. Or like you said, you can swipe, swipe, swipe them around the buys. You can, um, although they do have the first buy, which makes it a little bit tricky, yeah. but um, you yeah, <laughs> but you can sideswap into a Bontem Pally if he becomes forward eligible or something like that. I just think that he's a player that he's not your biggest problem, even though he's super frustrating. Yeah. And I actually think that's where the more experienced coaches get an edge. At the end of the day, like everyone's got a buttload of trades and where inexperienced coaches tend to leak value with their trades uh, is getting impatient with people that 
like when you zoom out and you look at the cost benefit equation, it's just the chance of that backfiring. is just so high. And even if it succeeds, your chance of you being burnt when you can find a better or very comparable at the worst upgrade. That's how I help rationalize those decisions. Like, even though it seems a really frustrating situation, it's like actually just an opportunity to hold your nerve and let your experience shine through and get an edge over the people who will be reactive and, and trade those guys out. And, and that gives me some peace with holding fire. Yeah. I think the lesson that I've learned over the years is if I'm going to correct an underperforming premium, it is before round three. And if I don't do it then, then I have to wait till I've finished up upgrading and do it over the buyers. All right. Final question for the week and a bit of a shout out. One of our patrons is getting married this weekend. Congratulations, Matthew Donnelly. He's asking what he will, should be doing to help maintain or <laughs> deal with his team in terms of VCs, emergencies. I thought you're a good guy to ask this because you run into situations as you've been on the road to yeah. not have connectivity for a little while. So congrats to Matt and uh, Mark, how, how would you, what advice would you give Matt's dealing with emergencies, but also the, the married one. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure whether I have much marriage advice. Uh, first point is congrats, Matt. Next, I would, my wife loves footy. There's no way we'd be getting married during footy season. Like that would be <laughs> just avoid that situation. I, if I was getting married, like I've, if I was getting married, I'd have my phone in my pocket and just before she walked down the aisle, I'd make sure that it was good. And then, uh, as we were walking out, I'd make sure it was good again. And you can get sneakies, like people are giving speeches. They might be talking about you, but it's a bit boring. You can just sort of check your team. But I'd basically go like Friday night, vice captain. Don't use any loopholes for emergencies at all. Just set your team up. Don't even worry about vice captain and a captain. Just like have a normal setup. Just go, okay, I'm going with this guy captain this week. And who gives a shit? It's one week. You're getting married. That's way more important than super coach. And you just deal with the consequences of potentially a lower score, but it's not going to be that much lower. Surely the fantasy footy gods help you out. Sometimes you, you play the loop bowling game and it can be to your detriment. So hopefully on your special day, you get some good juju there. So congrats, Matt. Uh, I know he's a longtime supporter of the show. So great that you asked that question and we got to give you a bit of a shout out. So uh, to the rest of our community, all the best for the coming week. We are fast approaching the buys. Many people are running into the situation where they're considering their last few boosts, and that's what we're going to have a bit of a chat about in the Patreon bonus as well. Just before we finish up, boost count, Mark. People still have boosts left? <laughs> no, I got one. One? I thought you had two. Oh, wow. No, man, okay. I have one, and I will not have two. I will not have any after this week. <laughs> I'm on boost count three. I'll be down to two this week. Uh, if you want to hear more about boosts, subscribe patreon.com forward slash supercoachcoach. We'll be talking about some of that strategy. All the best for the coming rounds. Well into the thick of the upgrade season. Hopefully you're charging through your upgrade cadence. We've seen it's very much gone mainstream, that terminology. So It has. I had to run another podcast this week. Which is awesome. Uh, everyone should be all about that cadence. So you heard it here first. <laughs> All the best for the coming week. Thanks for the show, Mark. And we'll uh, catch you next week. See you, mate.